The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, Descartes told us that our thoughts proved our existence. He said, I think, therefore I am. But what if just the opposite is true? What if it isn't our thoughts that prove our existence, but our presence in the experience of the now? If those who teach meditation as the art of suspending thought, or at least backing away from it to simply observe it, if those people are correct, then why is thought still considered to be so very important to those who tell us that our thoughts create our realities? What if our realities are created by something much deeper, much more real? But we can't really say that thinking is a useless activity either, so what is the true nature of thought? That's what we're going to be talking about today. And you want to stay tuned for the last segment in which we're going to be airing this week's clip of Oprah's Super Soul Sunday series. So thought. I titled this uh, show, I Think, Therefore I Am Not, and that begins to be something we have to consider when we get into the um, current understanding of what it is that we do when we meditate, what it is we do when we do something what, that's called walking meditation. A walking meditation is a meditation that is done throughout our everyday existence, that we're stay, we sort of stay in that state of presence while we're living our lives. This seems impossible to most of us because we live in the mind. So I want to tell you a little story about the mind and how the mind came to be what it is. Um, you know, you, those of you who have been listening to my show for a while know that I believe in something called a duality trance state. And um, that started back in the Garden of Eden, uh, in metaphorical Garden of Eden, through the metaphorical garden, I mean, uh, tree of knowledge of good and evil. So Eve, the feminine aspect of humanity, uh, and what I mean by that is not any literal woman, but an aspect of the consciousness of humanity, which Carl Jung referred to as feminine. That's the receptive, the inner part of humanity, the, 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 the part where we go inside of ourselves and receive what's in there. That part of us received from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, a trance state in which we were hypnotized, self-hypnotized into the belief system that we are now separate from the divine. And as most of you know, I believe that that happened because that was a part, a necessary and essential part of the journey. Because if something entirely new is going to be created in the universe, all the possibilities of that newness have to be explored. And so when 
formlessness created form, all of the possibilities inherent in form had to be explored. And so we had to visit the duality trance state um, for at least a period of time in order for us to work through all of the possibilities. And the possibility is that if something is created that is different from its creator, does that mean that the created is now separate from the creator? And that was one that had to be explored. And so from that point forward, there has been suffering. And it is suffering because we believe we're separate from the divine and we must struggle for our suppers and we must, you know, dig around in the ground for food and we must have covering for our bodies and covering for our uh, our, our homes, roofs over our, our heads and that kind of thing so that we're we're safe from all the dark forces in the world and that need for safety comes from the belief that we're not safe and we believe that we're not safe comes from the idea that we're separate from the divine so in the process of discovering who we are as separateness from the divine we've developed identities and we also developed mind okay once upon a time, when we were formless, there was no mind. There, everything was formless and void, and there was only the spirit. Once we be, we divided ourselves in in our thinking from from th- that soulful existence, we became mind. So the invention of thought happened at that same moment. In fact, Charles Fillmore, author of the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary, tells us that the trees, the two trees in the Garden of Eden, metaphorical trees in the Garden of Eden, were both two different kinds of thinking. Prior to those trees, there was no thought. But with the, with the invention or the creation of trees came thought. So trees represent the nerve endings that have to do with how we think. And there was the one thought of separation from the divine. And then there was the other thought of life, which life meant inclusion with the divine. We chose to take the duality trans state because we had to walk through that in order to get back to the tree of life, which if you follow the Bible uh, as a text, um, with a beginning and an end, then you can see at the beginning there was the creation of the tree of life, and in the end there's the fulfillment of the tree of life in the book of uh, the Revelation to John. So when, when, uh, when we develop thought, we could put things in the past in our heads. We could, as a matter of fact, there's a passage in, in um, Genesis that talks about moving the Garden of Eden to the east, Charles Fillmore says the Garden of Eden is our consciousness of ourselves as divine beings. And it was moved to the east. And the word east in its root meaning means before. It does. It means before that. Before this happened, that happened. So it, it has to do with moving the Garden of Eden into, the, into the, the realm of possibility of the past. So once there was no past and there was no future, there was only now. And then when the Garden of Eden was moved, our consciousness of ourselves as divine beings was moved into the past. And it was moved into the unconscious. So what happened there is in the realm of the unconscious, there isn't thought. There's only a kind of a mild chaos of, of, of 
um, some people would call it firings of the synapses, but I would rather call it um, um, the sort of uh, mix and blend of all the variant oppositions and all the variant aspects of beingness that don't have to do with thought. Whereas in our conscious world, uh, we are thinking beings. We, um, we, we come into thought at about really good thought around the age of, of uh, 13, 14, where uh, our cognitive abilities really pick up. I just uh, went to a conference this weekend at um, the, the Noetic Sciences Conference's IONS in Indian Wells, California, and listened to Bruce Lipton. And one of the things he said in there was that when we are infants, we are, um, we're in the delta state of consciousness, which is for adults a kind of sleeping state. But for infants, infants, they do sleep a lot, but it's more or less has to do with that kind of dreamy, sleepy kind of pre, precognitive, preconscious state. All right. So that's the delta state, the first two years of life. The, after two, they begin to go into the, what's called the theta state. And in the theta state, they develop imagination. So we can imagine all kinds of things. And of course, we see children imagining all kinds of beautiful and wonderful, exciting scenarios with their toys and with us and with the world and with TV and all that stuff. And that lasts until about the age of seven. And then they begin to develop, uh, the beta and the alpha where thought begins to take place more. And as we develop more and more, we develop cognitive abilities uh, much more when our brain fully begins to develop as adolescents. So uh, that whole process takes us in the same way from to the garden in the Garden of Eden. So we were early on not thinking, and then we were imagining that we could live in another realm of existence separate from the divine. And then we began to think, and we think thought, thought more and more and more over time. And now we consider ourselves very civilized because we can think. And as I said at the beginning, Descartes said that we exist because we think. Carl Jung, on the other hand, says that the unconscious is a matrix from which all consciousness springs. So that we, so that we are, who we are today has come from that chaotic non-thought place that is the unconscious. So while we do need thought, we can't dismiss thought. Certainly it is a part of our living and, and definitely it will be a part of the full creative endeavor as we begin to unite thought with non-thought, body with mind, body with soul, and as those opposites begin to really unite for us all as a collective, we change all of those things to sort of be a participant with the other, a constituent of the other. So that that whole process will be one in which thought will change and transform into uh, its ability to think in terms of its essence, where and the essence will be able to integrate with thought. Uh, whereas prior to that, there's been a big separation between the essential uh, beingness that we are and thought. So, okay, now I've explained all that sort of to give us a, a foundation, a backdrop for the further discussion today. What has thought to do with how we create our reality? Well, there's a big yes and no there with that. The, the yes is that, yes, we can perceive and misperceive reality based in um, all kinds of things, usually emotions, which are not thought, 
Um, our misperceptions very often come from fears and from our self-identity. So again, back to what Bruce Lipton said this weekend, uh, he said that our self-identity is formed when we're in, in between the ages of one and seven, where we are in the delta state and then in the theta state, where we are receiving much more than we put out. And so what we, what we get from that is that our, our, um, our awareness is one in which we are receiving from other people who we are, who we think we are. And so how they define us is how we are in our thinking, so in our imagination, not our thinking, in our imagination. And so we take on whatever identity is projected onto us. So if mom, for example, is depressed and looks at us like we're a big burden because she has to get up and deal with us, then we are going to perceive ourselves as a burden. Is that going to impact how we uh, see the rest of the world? Absolutely. But is that thought? I would question that. I don't necessarily think that perception is always thought. Cognition, I would call thought. Cognition is actually stimulated by, um, for example, a problem. So I have a problem and I need to sort of strategize how I'm going to resolve that problem. That's one example of cognition. Cognition also uh, works out um, how we're going to get from place A to place B. Uh, like I need to go to another place in the city I've never been to before and I have to figure that out. Cognition and figuring out are, are basically synonymous terms. So um, now, our, our beliefs have been classically determined to be a part of cognitive abilities. I would also question that. I think our beliefs very often are part of our self-identity, which came to us in the theta and delta states of our mental activity. So uh, they are received it's sort of planted, imprinted into ours, like a c- computer chip you planted, download, or put into somebody's brain, so that they have this belief, uh, and they don't know why or where it came from, but it seems valid and true, and they operate as if it's true. Um, so, you know, when we talk about cognitive therapy, and I do, I talk about cognitive therapy, and the people who are the experts in cognitive therapy talk about changing beliefs as part of cognitive therapy. But again, I would question that. I think that uh, working with belief systems is much more of a transpersonal kind of therapy than it is a cognitive therapy because we're talking about self-identity, which again came to us pre-thought. So, uh, so why am I saying all that? Because so much of what we consider to be thought that might change how we view reality might not be thought at all. It might be such, something much deeper. In, in both its quote-unquote negative and positive aspects. So, for example, I might uh, try to tell myself, like the, the old law of attraction that we've learned about in the past taught us, it told us to try really hard to, um, to change our thinking, to use affirmations and to use vision boards and to, to practice all day, every day, changing our thinking. And uh, how we were going to do that w- w- was going to make us different and it was therefore going to change our world so that we could attract for example huge sums of money by simply saying 
I'm a very wealthy person. I am a very wealthy person. I'm a very wealthy person many times a day and uh, creating a vision board of wealth so that we could look at that and see that, yes, indeed, I can change my mind about how I think about myself. The problem is I wasn't necessarily changing my beliefs. And that's a whole different structure. That's a whole different below-the-surface kind of thing so that I might change my mind and tell myself that a 100 times a day, but it's not really getting down to that level of beliefs. And when we talk about changing beliefs, we're talking about sort of getting into that delta-theta state that Bruce Lipton talked about. And also, we're talking about a kind of change for the hypnotic state that is the duality trance state. So if I see myself as a bad person, that's one of the ways I can identify as, um, as a person in this world where the duality trans state reigns. I can also see myself as a good person. And very often you will hear people say, um, you know, I don't really deserve this. I'm a good person. You know, and what they mean by that is I, I do good things. I have good feelings. I'm, I'm, you know, I have, I have uh, things about me that are worthy. And I can say that because I experience those things. However, we're measuring our worth. And in the very process of measuring worth, we have determined that measure, that worth can be measured. And that's a belief system. And the belief system is based in the duality trance state that says, I'm separate from the divine, therefore I must prove my worthiness in order to be, to reconnect with the divine. And that thinking, that, that sort of baseline thinking, which is also based in a, so the hypnotic trance state, which is the from the out delta theta state, um, which isn't thought, which is from the pre-thought state, that uh, has everything to do with self-identity. It has everything to do with how I see myself, not necessarily reality. So again... I, I can, that's from the negative perspective, I will not draw that thing that I'm trying to draw if I believe that I'm not going to be able to have it or that I don't deserve it or that I'm a bad person. On the, on the other side of that, I might believe I'm a really truly wonderful person and that everybody on the planet loves me, um, and, and still not have that thing that I think I desire. For example, I might not draw great wealth even though people on the planet love me and I sure would like to have great wealth. <laughs> you know, I might not draw it. Why? Because there's something even deeper than that that's really in charge. And that is the soul. The something that's really in charge of what, what I bring into my life is those things. As I said in, the, in my latest book, The Law of Attraction, The Soul's Answer to Why It Isn't Working and How It Can is that we're not attracting from the outside world to the inside world so that we can be happy. We are actually being attracted to and by all of those things, people, places, events, and circumstances that will bring us into deeper and deeper awareness of who we are as divine beings. So the object of the game here is to find out who we actually are. And that was the object of the game at the beginning of the Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil, where the word knowledge has everything to do with experiencing and revealing the self for what it is. That's what the root language of that word means. So um, when we talk about actually moving from the state of 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 that delta theta into a state of thought and thinking that that thought is somehow a higher order, we might be mistaken. Okay? So 
as we come back, I want you to think about the possibility that maybe when we're thinking, I want you to think, <laughs> uh, that maybe when we're in the thought mode, we are perhaps further away from the soul. So we'll be right back in just a minute after these messages. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Healing from the Heart is the show that focuses on freeing the heart by releasing the hidden energies that keep it from doing what the heart was created to do. Give and receive love. Every week, your host, Chris Chimbers, an energetic healing practitioner, will explore different aspects of his work, interview leading healers, respond to listeners' questions, and even do some live sessions on air. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, for Healing from the Heart on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Are you interested in finding out more about divine guidance? We all possess special gifts in this world, and sometimes finding out more about them and how to use them can help us get through some of the difficult parts of our lives. Tune in to Elemental Balance, Soul and Spirit Guidance with host Phyllis Valois. Phyllis is an intuitive and medium who will use her gifts to help you find out more about your gifts. Listen every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. talking today about what is thought and what what is the actual nature of thought and what has it to do with existence as we said in the beginning Descartes told us that he because we think that is the proof that we exist um, and um, according to what we understand about the union of mind and body perhaps thinking is not necessarily what is evidence that we exist Perhaps presence is that evidence. So what do I mean by presence? Uh, that word is used a lot in uh, the Christian religion to mean presence with God. 
um, and God's presence with us. It's also used to define the presence of angels. Um, and uh, it's used in New Thought um, or the Human Potential Movement to talk about how we are present in a moment with ourselves and with the other people in that moment with us. So uh, presence is um, attending physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and every other way to what is right now. Now, in order to do that, there has to be some level of acceptance of what is right now because it, without that acceptance, we will not be present. We will run from emotionally and even physically run from whatever it is in our world that we don't want to have in our world. So we will do that in all kinds of ways. And in fact, that is what has happened with the old way of viewing the law of attraction. We looked at our lives and we summed them up and we said, this is not good enough. And so I have to attract something better than this. And so what I've got to do is I've got to work really hard to change my thinking so that I can have a new reality and so that I can live in that new reality where I'm a wealthy person or a married person or an employed person or a something. I'm different. Um, and so what we did with that was we, we got to work. We worked really hard. We put a lot of effort and energy into creating our vision boards and creating a life in which we could uh, fairly consistently attend to the idea that we were going to be a new kind of person, a wealthier person, a happier person, et cetera, et cetera, a related person, whatever. And, and in that process, what we did was we did the work. But what we read in the Bible is be still and know that I am God. Now, I translate that, as most of you know, to mean be still to know that I am, that Andrea is divine. And so are you, not just me. <laughs> it, you are, as we all are divine and so uh so in that stillness is that presence in that stillness we come to be present with a moment uh and and by using the term moment i'm implying that there's a time element involved and that's not true there is no such thing as time we made all that up in order to cope with uh, a world we didn't understand so we we've computed that mathematically and we've configured it all out and and said how many hours there are in a in a day and how many minutes in an hour and how how many seconds in a minute etc cetera, etc cetera, so that we um so that we understand when we're supposed to be at a certain place and we can go to that appointment and we can date our past and say well this happened on such and such a date and we can project into our future and say well you know I, that's going to happen on this such and such a date of course, we don't know whether it's going to happen or not. We don't even know if we're going to be here then. So all of those things are imaginary. Uh, we've we've imagined that we have some say-so over that. And people say, well, now, wait a minute. There are 24 hours in a day. We've measured it. <laughs> yes. Well, the sun does go up and it does go down. That's true. Um, and you can calculate that in terms of hours. And, you know, if I was some alien from another planet, I might calculate it entirely differently. But, you know, it's calculation. And it's thought, therefore. So in the process of it, of us being able to uh, just be present, we're not thinking in terms of time. We're thinking in terms of, of, of how we are in that moment, how we are in the presence of ourselves. Am I accepting myself? Am I rejecting myself? Am I accepting a thought? Am I rejecting it? 
Am I accepting an emotion? Am I rejecting it? Am I accepting um, the way you're looking at me? Or am I rejecting it? What's going on within me? I'm present with that and I'm being with that. Instead of avoiding all of that while trying to calculate a strategy about how I'm going to make you happy so that you won't reject me or some other strategy that we come up with. So um, presence is a way of, of moving not out of thought but Trans, making thought more transpersonal so that it isn't that thought goes away it's that thought and intuition and soulfulness become one and the same so that you, you don't you don't stop thinking but your thinking comes from a different source it isn't just cogni- cognition anymore now it is soulfulness now it is recognition of the presence now it is uh, being able to be with your own thought. So how that works is that we begin to, uh, to practice what's called stillness. And uh, stillness and silence, those are terms that are, are used a lot today um, in the New Thought Human Potential Movement, whereas someone might be able to... Um, um, stop working at being able to, but in that very not working, there comes an effortless effort that is, you know, it, it's it's really hard for us to put the words effortless and effort together. You know, we can't even imagine that. What? How can it be effort if it's effortless? And how can it be effortless if it's effort? But that's because we're thinking. When we think about those two terms, they seem like oxymorons. They are opposites. And uh, so we don't usually think about those terms. But when you've been in a moment, when you've been in the now, when you've been present, you know what that means. And the reason you know what that means is because you've experienced it. The experience itself has become your teacher, and that is where we're all going. We're going to those experiences. Um, now, it is possible for us to experience different things in a lifetime. For I can definitely tell you that in my early, my young years, I was a very, very shy little girl. Didn't speak much at all. Um, and then as a teenager, I began to speak a little bit more and began to en- enjoy my life a little bit more. And then I went through this terrifying religious phase where I thought I was going to go to hell and then I went through another phase where um, I was uh, kind of hyper-religious and and very much sort of almost using religion to annihilate myself in some kind of way in which I was not wanting to be present and then eventually I came back into myself and I was able to to see me clearer and to be able to authenticate my own existence through the first steps of that were some spiritual experiences I had and then after that begin to meditate more and more and begin to just sort of receive that um, that ex- experience of beingness. So can I tell you that there's one, two, three, four, five steps to get there? No. Now I could if I was thinking about it. And and if I was thinking, I could say, well, now you should do this, 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 and this. But you see, what I'm describing as I tra- as I 
sort of transpose a brief description of my life for you is I'm describing experiences that I had. I'm not describing thoughts. I'm describing experiences of myself in a particular period of time as uh, uh, or timelessness, however you want to think about that. Um, I'm describing my experience. I experienced myself as very awkward and shy and uncomfortable around most people when I was a child. As a, a teenager, I began to feel a little bit more comfortable, and then I began to feel really uncomfortable as I began to think about the possibility that I might be somebody who was a candidate for hell, and I found it very difficult to believe that God would want me to to come to heaven, and that was how split off I was, and, and uh, having come from the dysfunctional family I came from, so... Uh, then each one of those periods after that had its own experience. So it, each, each experience that I've had has been an evolutionary phase of my own awareness of who I am. And that's all we've got. That's it. That's the sum total of it. That's all we've really got. Now, I could think about all that and say, now, here's what you should do. If you're going to evolve to where I've evolved to, you, you should do this, and then you should do this, and then you should do this, and this, and this, and this. And then that'll get you to where I'm at. But it might not get you to where I'm at because you're you, and your experiences are different from mine. And your experience of life and how you perceive life, how you perceive yourself, how you came to your self-identity, all of those things have something to do with how we are going to go about the business of evolving into further or further awareness of who we are. And that is why I cannot judge your process because I don't know what it should be. I don't know what experience you need to get you to a place where you can feel and understand beingness. I'm never going to know that. And you're going to never know what it is for me to get there. And I can't look at you and say, well, you're not as evolved as I am because who knows? I certainly don't know. Um, I heard a wonderful story about um, two Buddhist monks who were ha- had passed into the first, second, or third bardo, and they were watching other people come into the bardos after death. If you don't know what the bardos are, they're, they're phases of development into an afterlife experience. And uh, and so they uh, they were watching this man come into um, the, his bardo first bardo experience and one of the monks says to the other you know he's uh he's got a long way to go he's got so many lives yet to live man oh man he's just been an alcoholic all his life and my gosh what he's got such a long way to go and the other one says you know that's not really true this is his last uh his last life he's not going to reincarnate again all he needed was humility and being an alcoholic is how he got it so who knows I certainly don't know. And, uh, you know, the idea is not that we should, um, we should decide how we go about this, but to begin the process of saying, okay, if beingness is what I'm here to be, then there's not a how-to plan for that, but there is a practice for that. And it begins with being open to the possibility that there's another experience deeper than the one we've had before. And how that occurs for many people is very different. For me, it was a major crisis that put me in a place where I began to really, uh, I had a major spiritual experience that really woke me up um, as a result of a crisis in my life. And it's different for different people. 
those crises that we hate so much and don't want to accept very often are the open doors uh, to spiritual experiences. And that is why being present with a moment, a, a nowness, is so uh, crucial to our experience because I experience that crisis as a crisis in all of its emotional glory then I was able to wake up a little bit better. Had I tried to avoid that experience of the emotional glory, then I might not have gotten to where I am. I don't know. But I can tell you that that was an open door for me. And I walked through it. And as a result, I'm different now than I was. And I'll probably be different next year than I am now. Because I'm a continually evolving person. I know things today that I didn't know yesterday. I wake up in the morning sometimes, and I'm only using myself as an example. I'm, there are many of you out there that might have the same example. But uh, uh, I wake up in the morning sometimes with a fresh new perspective that I've never had before. And I know that I've, I've dreamed something or I've awakened in some deeper way that has happened all on an unconscious level. That happened before I even woke up. And so how can I say that thought created that? It didn't. So uh, thought is not how we change our reality. Now, I'm not saying stop thinking. Okay, I want to be real clear. I'm not saying don't think anymore. I am saying that when we think that we must change our thoughts in order to change our reality, we might not, we might have it backwards. We might need to accept our reality, be with our reality, whatever that is, and feel what we feel and, and be in presence with ourselves in that reality in order for us to, to get, reach a place where we can attain something that I call beingness, which is just being. It's just being. It's not trying to do anything. It's not striving after something. It's not, it's not, uh, changing your mind it's not working hard on your thoughts it's not any of those things that we've been told by so many of our big teachers out there that we must do if we're going to have the big things we want in life that's not it I'm sorry but it's not it I don't agree with those teachers I, I, I do think there's a lot of other teachers out there uh, uh, for example Eckhart Tolle Bruce Lipton several other teachers out there that are that are saying what it is that can get us to that place of stillness where we begin to understand who we are. And by understand, I don't mean think. Understand, I mean experience. Uh, we can stand under our own experience because it's that real to us. It's like when we walk out in the rain and we're standing under the rain and the rain is falling on us. and We know we're being rained on. Why? Because we're wet. Okay, and that's the experience. We're we're having that experience. We're present with it. We're feeling the water on us. We're we're either dancing or we're complaining. We're in that experience. That's what it is. And when we get there, we go a little bit deeper into it, and then we go a little deeper into that, and then a little deeper into that, and that's how the process of beingness comes to be. So, so thinking, when we get to the true nature of thought. That's what we're going to be talking about right after the break. Stay tuned for this. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 
Are you living your happy life? Are you looking for something more fulfilling? Tune in every week for Living the Shift, our evolution of mind, body, and spirit with your host, Angela Coulter. The worldwide economy has changed the way that we view and live a traditional happy life. The spiritual and metaphysical world does provide some guidelines, but many of us have no real understanding of these and what they can do. Listen live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. In times of personal transformation and growth, sometimes you need assistance to help set you on the right path. Angela Bushman provides that assistance. Tune in each week for her show, Shine Your Light. With Angela's guidance, you can identify and overcome your fears, learn to let go, and share the joy of authentic living. Angela leads by example and invites you to join her on this path of discovery. Shine Your Light with Angela Bushman is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. Be extraordinary. Be the change. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. The Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and the holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religion to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AHD's programs include degrees in the following, holistic theology offering as terminal degrees both a THD and a PhD, holistic ministries, holistic health and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality and alternate spiritual traditions, which includes in-depth studies of the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. AIHT is a real educational program where you'll get a real learning experience in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing as your text writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world, some of whom I've interviewed right here on this show. And right now, AIHT is offering a special program in which you may get special discounts if you call in before August the 1st. So contact Beverly Love, AIHT, 
at AIHT.edu or contact, call her at 1-800-650-4325. Again, 1-800-650-4325. If you have questions or if you'd like to enroll, contact Beverly Love. Oprah says, education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we've been talking today about what thought is and what it isn't and what, why, what the purpose of thought is. So the purpose of thought, as we've said, is to, to get us to a place where we can unite thought with beingness so that they are one thing. Um, the purpose of a body is to unite body with soul so that they are one thing. Um, the purpose of the body is not just to transition through this world, have a learning experience, and then throw that body away. <laughs> okay, the purpose of the body is, or of the many bodies, if we reincarnate into many bodies, is to take from each of those and and take an essence from each of those, which is the soul, and build something that is who knows what it's going to look like when it gets done. But we are all a part of that creative endeavor. So we thought, um, and we've been taught, that the creation happened once, and it was over. But from this perspective, as we look at the root language of those, of those ancient books, those ancient sacred texts, which, by the way, also match uh, some of the other world religions' ancient texts, like the Bhagavad Gita, the, the Sufi Sutras, the Buddhist Sutras, um, uh, many of the mantras of the world that are stated out loud, the chants of the world, say this same stuff, that we are one with the divine, and the divine is one with us. And yet, we live as if we're separate from the divine, and we do that because of the duality trance state. But in those sacred texts, what we come to understand is that there's a journey that we're taking here, and it's to finish the creative process, so that we, when we get through, we will be complete we will be one with every aspect of ourselves, and we will be one with our experience. Um, so many of us spend long, long periods of our lives trying to avoid our own experiences. Um, and by that I mean trying not to feel what we, what, what we actually feel, trying not to think what we actually think, trying not to be present with our reality, trying very hard to run from things we don't like or don't want in our lives. And yet, if we can be present with the not liking and not wanting, if we can be present with the experience itself, we begin to heal and we begin to integrate that experience into a beingness. So, And that's the same way it is with thought. Ultimately, the nature of thought will prove itself to be a part of soul. There will not be a separation between cognitions and our, our um, soulfulness. And we will be able to think the thoughts of the soul. And that's the whole point, is that when we get united with that, the beingness doesn't drop thought altogether, but thought becomes a part of the soulful experience of presence. So what is the nature of thought? It is the same as the nature of soul. What is the nature of thought? It is the same as the nature of love. What is the nature of thought? It is the nature of the divine. That is what thought actually is at its bottom essence. But because we believe that thought is so very different from every, everything else, as a matter of fact, we think that we think and animals don't. Well, I don't know about that. If you've ever had a pet that you were close to, you might wonder if, if animals aren't thinking quite a bit, only their thought might be more closely aligned with their beingness than ours is. We think that we're higher than the animals. Sometimes I wonder about that too. 
So uh, when we're when we're deciding on what the nature of thought is, it won't be just cognition separate from con- from unconscious chaos. It will be a union of the two, so that thought and cha- and the unconscious chaos will merge together. A little bit like this: if I have a dream and I wake up in the morning and I tell somebody my dream then I'm, what I'm doing is I'm taking that unconscious experience and I'm putting it into what some call logos, into the word. Word requires thought. Word requires co- uh, a kind of um, cognitive ability to, to sort of cogitate and come up with a word that matches what we experienced in the dream world. So we, we think about the dream and then as we think about the meaning, perhaps, of the dream, we try to understand what that dream was trying to tell us. We have to think more in line with experience, more in line with metaphor, more in line with, oh, well, that that symbolically represents this. And, oh, I see that because, oh, a rose, yes, I got a rose yesterday from a friend. And that friend was somebody I really didn't like the day before. And, and so there was some kind of healing that took place. So maybe that rose represents a healing. So you see now we're putting our thought together with uh, the deeper alignment of the soul. And in so doing, we are that there is an alignment that takes place. And by alignment, I mean a joining, a union, a putting together of the opposites where thought seems to be opposite from soul. Um, and so, so when, we, when we do that, what's happening is we are becoming one. If only for an instant, we are experiencing ourselves as one. Let me change my language there. We're not becoming one. We are experiencing ourselves as one. We already are one. We don't have to become it. So uh, when, uh, when we're processing what thought is and isn't, it, here's what it's not. It is not um, the way we will make our lives what we want them to be. It is not, thought is not going to give us uh, the answers to our life's questions. Um, we are not going to find uh, the definition of love in words. We're not going to find the definition of um, mystery in words. We're not going to find the definition of, of, of our own process and how the many ways we've changed from one experience to another in, in thought. However, we can put thought together with those things and come up with something that is meaningful. Um, and we are able to um, align then thought with the other parts. So uh, thought is actually, in its truest nature, a constituent part of soul, just like body is a constituent part of soul. We just don't know it. And so we're planning out our lives accordingly. So, and when we're plotting and planning our lives, strategizing how we're going to live, that's mostly based in a self-identity that came from the delta and theta states when we were too pre-verbal, pre-thought. And so, we can't really say that that's thought, but yet we have formed identities out of that. And uh, in that same way, we can have different aspects of our lives. We can have this part of me that was doing this, and this part of me that was uh, this this part of my life. I was doing this, um, and that is what actually is described this coming up uh, Super Soul Sunday uh, by Rhonda Harris, who has has now become a Yanla Van Zant. 
Uh, Rhonda Harris had some uh, some troubling times in her life, but those t- troubling times br- brought her to Iyanla Van Zandt. And Iyanla's no-nonsense advice has reached audiences around the world through many uh, opportunities to work with people, including her own show. This week, uh, in the, an original conversation, Iyanla is opening up to Oprah about how she found peace among the broken pieces of that life. So tune in Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific, only on the OWN Network. And here's a clip from that show. Next Sunday. Who was Rhonda Harris? Before she was Iyanla Van Zandt, she was Rhonda Harris. She is the reason I am sitting here today. The life that I was living was not the truth of who I was. Wow. Get ready for an hour full of aha moments. I had to go through that to get here. How do you take that lesson and apply it to everyone else? The truth will set you free, but you have to endure the labor pains of birthing it. Super Soul Sunday, all new next Sunday, 11 a.m. 10 Central, from the heart of OWN. Yes, that is exactly how it happens. The truth of who I was was not what I was living. That's what Rhonda Harris, who became a Yala Van Zant, said there in that clip. And that is what we've been talking about today. The truth of who we are is often not what we're living. And the truth of who we are is not just thought. Um, the truth of who we are runs much deeper than what we can think. However, like I said, we can put our thoughts together with the truth of who we are and think from the truth of who we are, which which makes thought a more transpersonal experience. So here's what I want to communicate today. If If you leave this show with this message, you've gotten the message. Thought alone will not change the reality of your life. Thinking, changing your thinking is not going to change the reality of your life. Okay? Thinking is the more surface of all the elements in our lives. Words and thinking are the surface parts of the elements of our life. If you want to think about it like the tip of an iceberg where you see just the tip above the ocean, but underneath it there's a whole bunch more. Well, that's kind of the way it is when we're talking about thought. So all of those people out there who are trying to practice the law of attraction still trying to practice the law of attraction by changing their thinking, it, it's not going to work, okay? The reason it doesn't work is because something deeper has to shift if things are to shift in our lives. Now, is it possible that that people can w- work with the um, thinking, thinking, thinking until they reach a deeper part of themselves? Yeah. I think that's possible. And so we have some people who have seen change happen, and they say that it happened because they changed their thoughts. But actually, it happened because they might have shifted a self-identity, and that was ran much deeper than thought could ever go. So when I write poetry or write prose, very often I just slam it down on the piece of paper. I'm just bleh. You know, it's coming out and, it, you know, some of it's garbage and some of it's really good stuff. Um, and the part that's garbage I toss and the part that's good I keep. And so, but it's coming from somewhere. Some, some of the best poems that I've ever written have come from that deeper part of me. And I just, it just bubbled up to the surface and threw itself down on the piece of paper. And then I looked at it later and went, wow, that's some, that's some really cool stuff. And many of you have had that experience. What that's telling us is that that our 
the essence of who we are bubbled up to the surface, the truth of who we are bubbled up to the surface, expressed itself in words on a piece of paper. And then we went back and we saw it and we said, oh, my God, that's who I really am. Okay, so that's how that can happen, that union between thought and beingness. Um, So here's what we've basically said today. The true nature of thought is is a constituent part of soul. The true nature of thought is who we who a union with who we actually are. But the false nature of thought is that we can strategize and practice and try to push thoughts away over here and add more new thoughts over here and that way things will happen like we want them to happen. That is false, okay? What that basically means is that we're repressing some thoughts in favor of others. And where do those thoughts go? They go into the unconscious, and usually they're attached with emotions, which means that we've pushed away both a thought and an emotion, and somewhere it's going to erupt later. Why? Because it's got an energy attached to it, and energy doesn't go away. It just trans transposes itself. So it doesn't go away when we say, well, I, I, I just forgot about that. I talk to people all the time that said, I just decided not to think about that anymore. Okay, and then what happened? Well, then I crashed and burned. <laughs> or then I threw a temper tantrum. Or then I had a crying jag. Or then, you see what I'm saying is it comes out later. We can't make these things go away. So when we tell ourselves we're going to stop thinking a certain way, we're playing a game. And we might as well call it a game. It's fine. Play the game all you want. But it's not going to change your reality. All right? So that's what's not going to happen. What can happen is that we can unite with our thoughts by being present with ourselves and as that as we practice that process regularly what happens is thought begins to transition and it becomes more soulful and more connected with soul so it's one and the same thing so i think therefore i am not well probably not but i think therefore i am definitely not and that's it for today. That's our show for today. So tune in again next week. We're going to be back with some more really interesting talk. And remember, your job, should you choose to te- accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.